our Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they have faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them and what tips they got and what tips say for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Ali Oliver, the Chief Executive of the Youth Sport Trust, where she has worked for 15 years. Ali started her career as a PE teacher and was also Director of Netball at Team Bath. Thanks for joining me today, Ali. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to be the CEO of the of the Youth Sport Trust? Thank you, Grace. Well, I'm really pleased to be here and uh, thank you for the invitation. So in answer to your question, um, it was definitely not a planned route, if I'm honest. You mentioned there in my uh, introduction that I qualified as a physical education teacher and started my career teaching PE um, and had the opportunity to work in both the state and independent sectors. Um, But after eight years of teaching, moved into initial teacher training. So I moved to the University of Bath, uh, where I ran the course, um, it's called the Postgraduate Certificate uh, in Education course, um, to qualify future teachers of physical education. And and while I was at the university, it just happened to coincide with a period when uh, Bath University was bidding to be the British Academy of Sport, which was going to be the equivalent of the Australian Institute of Sport, if you've heard of that at the time. And anyway, without dwelling through a long story, um, what I started to do was get more and more involved in sports development while I was at the university and I moved into the Department of Sports Development and that's where I um, led the establishment of the Team Bath uh, netball franchise which now as you know is part of the the Super League and um, um, managed to to recruit an amazing coach to lead that, a lady called Lynn Gunson from New Zealand uh, who taught me a lot again about not just sports development and how to develop netball for example but also the role of sport in developing individuals um developing as people and developing uh, groups of people teams of people how to get people to work together effectively and i got more and more fascinated by that and and ended up um as the governor of a local school who um or which was a specialist sports college at the time which was a particular type of school that was using sport to raise standards in education. And again, to cut a long story short, I went to the first ever specialist sports colleges conference where I heard uh, an amazing woman speak um, called Baroness Sue Campbell, who at the time was the chief executive of the Youth Sport Trust. Uh, She's now uh, running women's football at the FA, but um, she inspired me so much that I knew then at that point, having listened to her talk about the role of sport in education and its role in contributing towards young people's development, equipping them with skills for life, supporting their learning, that that was my my destiny, I think. And and at that point, sort of started looking out for roles. And really, the rest is is history. As you say, I've been at the Trust now for 15 years. Well, it's uh, it's interesting that you touched on the reason that you wanted to work in sport was of um, Sue Campbell, because I've actually met Sue Campbell. I did one of these podcasts with Sue Campbell. She was a very interesting woman. There you go. No, she's a she's a real inspiration and yeah. um, has done so many amazing things in sport and, and for, for young people. She She's uh, a real hero of mine. When you were at school and say about my age did you know what you wanted to do or be or did that happen later in life it's a really good question actually grace because i i was always uh, playing sport i was always outdoors i was always playing team games or 
um, writing training schedules for myself to get fitter or stronger or faster. Um, I didn't know at that point that I wanted to work in education or, or even become a, a teacher. I just knew that I loved sport. And the more I did sport, the happier I was. And I think the more I managed to get on in school and managed to make friends and all those sorts of things. So it wasn't really until I went to university that I started to really weigh up my options. Even when I left kind of um, secondary school and thought about my sixth form studies, I didn't really know at that point. I had a, maybe a slight inclination I might want to go into the uh, Royal Air Force. Oh, wow. Um, at that point, I wasn't quite sure, but um, that sort of attracted me at the, at the time, the opportunity to, um, again, grow and develop play sports. Um, I, I love the idea of the discipline of the services and those sorts of things. But um, as I went to university, um, I did an undergraduate degree in sports science, physical education and geography. And after three years, had the opportunity to do a one year postgraduate certificate of education course. And it was at that point, really, probably my second year university that I really honed in on actually teaching was was for me. And that's what I wanted to do. And hence, I did that extra years teacher training um, and, and then kind of haven't haven't, I suppose, moved out of education. But I've definitely moved around, as I've just said, not just in teaching, but teacher training and then sport development and ultimately now sport for development and working in the charity sector. Well, I know that you went to Loughborough University. How important do you, do you think it, it actually is to go to university? Well, again, another great question. Um, well, listen, I think I think these days it's not um, it's not really so much about what you do after school. It's the way you do it um, and how you make the most of those opportunities. So, you know, for me at that point in time, university was, yes, about studying something that I was really interested in, in, in sport and geography. But probably it was much more valuable to me in um learning how to make friends, learning how to live independently, having the opportunity to take uh, roles of responsibility on. So I was the um, captain of the netball club and I had the opportunity to become the treasurer of the athletic union, which oversaw all the sports at, at the university. It was all those sorts of opportunities that I tried to take advantage of to develop myself. But I know lots and lots of people I work alongside and indeed friends who didn't go to university took different paths. But all of them, um, when I look at where they've gone to in their careers, uh, you can see that they made the absolute most of whether they did an apprenticeship or whether they went straight into the, the workplace. They, they all sought out opportunities to develop themselves and get where they wanted to get to. Um. I don't know if you um, heard about this, but during the maybe the first or second or the third lockdown, I do not know there were so many lockdowns um, in the COVID pandemic. Yeah, there are right. lots of people on YouTube like Joe Wicks who have tried to keep um, children exercised over the online learning. What else do you think um, people in general who have at least a little bit of fame can do to help keep help um, keep children happy and healthy and exercised? Well, I think you're right. I mean, Joe Wicks did a, a, an amazing job at just uh, number one, I think, helping parents and carers keep children active during the lockdown. He provided a really simple, easy to access solution. And in many cases, he encouraged families to, to be active together, which was brilliant. But he used he used his um, platform, his, his success, his, his existing success to help educate people about the importance of being active and why we should all 
try and get for, certainly for children age five to 16, 60 active minutes a day if we want to stay physically and mentally well. But also the role of sport and physical activity in, in building social cohesion, developing human connection and relationships, which, of course, are all really important to making us thrive as, as well. So I think what what anyone with a voice can do um, who, who has a platform because of their success in whatever their career is use that to do good and try and help the world be a better place. So in the context of, of our health and well-being right now, and, and as you say, coming off the back of three lockdowns, um, getting outside, number one, close to nature, and, and number two, being active, um, building back our functional capacity, our fitness, but also using the power of exercise to improve our mood, um, improving uh, our attentional focus, helping us manage with stress and anxiety, all those things. And, and then and then when we play, which is my hashtag, when we play, life gets better. When we play and when we play with other people, um, we, we develop a whole range of other outcomes for ourselves, such as friendships, um, belonging um, and, and a, a, a sense of purpose in life, which can also be helpful. Can you tell me a little about the chance to, sh the chance to shine sh charity and how we got involved in that? Yes, well, Chance to Shine is a wonderful charity that I'm very privileged and proud to be a trustee of. Um, the charity uses cricket as a sport to help um, build brighter futures for young people. Number one, it's about making sure that every child has the opportunity to enjoy the game of cricket because um, too many young people have never played it or never experienced it. And the people who set up Chance to Shine were particularly passionate about the role that cricket could play in developing um, really great human beings. So it's a team sport. So a lot of a lot of what Chance to Shine does is, again, focuses on the role and responsibilities we have to, to others when we play in a team. Um, but also the fact that, you know, cricket's one of those sports where, Certainly when you're bowling or when you're batting, you're just a single person um, in a contest against another single person, but within a team. And it's quite a unique sport. And therefore, it gives the coaches and the teachers of cricket great opportunities to develop in a safe environment, a whole range of um, skills and attributes and, and develop character. Um, so that's that's really what Chance to Shine is about, is unlocking the power of cricket and giving more young people the opportunity to to enjoy, but then learn through cricket. And I was very privileged to be invited to join the board or apply to join the board by the, the chair, Donald Bryden, who, again, is uh, an incredible individual, um, very successful in his own career, but um, committed to trying to make the world a better place. Was there any sports um, that inspired you in particular to work in the sport industry? Not really, if I'm honest. The thing that inspired me the most as a, as a young person um, about sport was I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the Olympic and Paralympic Games, um, not because of the gold medals and because of the podium. But I always think when we have an Olympic and Paralympic Games, we have these amazing stories of humanity yeah. where people from perhaps nations at war are able to come together and unite through the power of sport. Um, we always see incidents where someone has really battled incredibly hard with challenges in their life to get to, 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 to be successful or to be at the games. Um, I think it was uh, at the last games, we had the first team of refugees compete. There are all these amazing 
stories uh, about the role of sport in bringing out the very best in people. And that's what I love about the Olympic and Paralympic Games is the stories and the expression of, of, of humanity. So it doesn't matter which sport. It's just yeah. what happens to people when they take part in sport and they try to be their best through it. Um, well, something that's been on the news quite um, a lot um, around now um, is um, racism in football. And mm -hmm. I know that um, it's been quite a big deal and lots of football players have stood up to it on their platforms. Why would you think it is important to fight against racism in sport? Well, I think um, sport is often a, a, a language which people understand. Again, you know, take something like football, which is probably played in every single nation around the globe to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, people follow teams from different countries all over the world. It has this power uh, to communicate on a global on a global stage. So um, what we can do through sport and particularly in this example, through football, is endeavour to um, get messages out around the world about the importance of acceptance um, and the importance of understanding and respecting difference and the fact that we are all better the more we embrace the individual differences that exist in our communities and societies and therefore, you know, absolutely should not resist difference, should embrace it. Um, but but now and again, as, as as is happening right now, is an opportunity for something like the, the global sport of football to make a stand and uh, express really clearly what is unacceptable or should not be acceptable uh, in the world in terms of discrimination and particularly racism. The world is changing so much and so quickly. What do you think work for women might look like in 10 years time? Cool. Gosh. OK. Um, well, I, what I would like to see is I would like to see any young woman or, or indeed old woman, as I am, um, be able to to fulfill their dreams and, and achieve their, their their potential in life and their passions. And I think we're making progress towards that. There, there is no doubt that a whole range of um, things from the, the media and the way women are portrayed in the media through to legislation. So we now have um, in the workplace uh, employers of over, I think it's 250 staff have to report back on the gender pay gap, the average salary for men and the average salary for women. And and that's kind of encouraging employers to think about if men are earning more than women in the workplace. Is it because there are women that aren't represented in certain roles or there's a disproportionate number of women in part time work? And those sorts of considerations can lead to, to employers thinking very differently about how they run their business. And again, picking up on your last point, actually, about discrimination, you know, I think I think employers are increasingly understanding that having both men and women represented at the highest levels of decision making, but indeed at every level is good for business. It means that those organisations understand both genders. Uh, they harness the individual talents and expertise of everybody uh, when they have that diverse workforce. So in the future, I'd like to see the continuation of, of what we what we are seeing growing at the moment, but it'd be great if it could be accelerated and it would be terrific if, um, you know, some of the, the the biggest roles in the country in, in business, in politics, in the charity sector, in education 
uh, we saw an equal representation of men and women on their own right, not not because we've um, we've made any, any tokenistic appointments, but because women have wanted those roles and have had access to them and been able to to secure them. Well, before we go, um, I need to know. Tell me how you felt when you found out that you had been awarded an MBE, and did you get to meet the Queen? <laughs> um, well, I I have to say I when I found out I was probably a little bit speechless to begin with, um, and and incredibly humbled by it. Um, w- w- the way you find out is you you do hear a few weeks before the the official publication of the list. Uh, but you're not allowed to tell anyone. You have to keep it absolutely to yourself, not your family, not your friends, not anybody. Um, and and I felt very humbled at that point. And then when I, you know, a few weeks later, when I saw the list, I, I, I suppose in many ways I felt a little bit unworthy when I looked at some of the other recipients of uh, an MBE and what extraordinary things they, they'd done. Um, I haven't met the Queen yet because of um, COVID. So we haven't had the, the investiture yet. Um but I guess um, where I'm left feeling now after that original kind of being shocked and a bit stunned and, and feeling a little bit unworthy is immensely proud um, with a huge sense of responsibility now to live up to that honour and continue to, to make a difference. Um, but also really, really grateful because there's no way I achieved that MBE on my own merits. I work with an extraordinary team at the Youth Sport Trust and they indeed for, for me, uh, have equal right to my MBE because it, we work as a team and a, and a lot of what I've been able to achieve has, has purely been through their their efforts and, and their hard work. Well, that must have been really hard to try and keep it for to keep a secret with that because it's such a big thing. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Ali. Thank you so much. I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their careers. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcast as I talk to many more brilliant women. Thank you to our sponsors, Haynes Watts and Levi Strauss, for their amazing support.